151 episodes into this. I still don't know how to record. Miss Lopez and myself, both not sure how technology works, and we both have no idea how our schedules work. So that's an update on us. But Miss Lopez has been on here a million times before, and we have a million more to go. For all future listeners, today is Monday, March 21st, 2022. Uh, I will, as always, preemptively and at the end, your Twitter, your links, all of your writings are all in the description. I highly, highly recommend everyone to go check them out. But so obviously Ukraine's still the biggest topic of the day. Um, and I'm going to let you take this any way you want. But I think part of it would kind of be cool to go into the, um, the firing of the hypersonic, the Kinzhal mm. the other day. And obviously China has the Dongfeng 14. And some people on in the U.S. say we don't have anything close to that. Had on a guy yesterday who's in U.S. Cyber Command for 20 years and said, you know, we're not we're not lacking anything. And he kind of said with a wink and a nod. And then the day before that, I had on a guy, uh, Brandon Weikert, who briefs, I think today is briefing the USAF on hypersonics. And he says that we have nothing close to it. So that's kind of where my mind is right now. Um, I don't know if you want to go down that rabbit hole or if you want to go somewhere else with this. But Miss Lopez. Please take it away. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. Good to be back with you again. As um, always. As always. Um, so I guess just a real brief uh, overview of, of uh, you know, what's going on in Ukraine, and then we can get to some of the specifics, like, you know, that hypersonic uh, cruise missile that was fired by the Russians, I guess it was yesterday. Um, in a lot of places around Ukraine, especially around the big cities, like the capital at Kiev, uh, big cities in the east, Kharkiv, um, and, uh, and and others. Um, there's there seems to be a bit of a standoff at the moment. Um, in the south, the Russians near and around and in even now Mariupol uh, are making slow, horrific progress. Um, seeming to have taken the decision that if they cannot sweep through. As originally planned, remember, we're in the fourth week of this thing now, originally planned um, a kind of a blitzkrieg, get in, take it over, collapse the government, uh, install a puppet, and call it a day. Well, it didn't turn out like that at all because the Ukrainian people are fighting back. Just as I thought uh, all those weeks ago, might have remembered, you know, I said they will fight from 15 to 60. They will pick up weapons and fight. And that's exactly what they're doing. And not just the guys, but the gals are in it, too, uh, except for, you know, many mothers with, with young children and, and the older folks have joined an exodus. I think it's over three million now uh, have fled the country for neighboring places like Poland and Hungary. Uh, and some other countries that border on Ukraine. But the uh, the Russian advance um, has really gotten bogged down. A lot of incompetence. It appears poor planning, poor training, uh, poor integration of, you know, operational elements. Uh, they're just not doing even as well, I guess, as, as many observers in the beginning thought that they might. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the tragedy of that, of course, is that Putin and his senior commanders appear to have turned, um, you know, instead of making military progress against the Ukrainian armed forces, uh, the Russians have chosen to stand off and bombard places, uh, they think, you know, into submission, just 
turning cities wholesale into rubble uh, with horrific loss of, of human life, uh, reminiscent of what Putin did in Grozny, uh, the capital of Chechnya, uh, what the Russians did in Middle East battlefields. Aleppo comes to mind. Um, if you can't win uh, fighting the military, kill the women and children. I yeah. mean, it, it, there, there, there's no other way to put this left anymore, um, you know, than that Putin is a killer, he's a thug, and he's a war criminal. Yeah. And uh, the case uh, for uh, war crimes has been taken to the International Court at The Hague. In Brussels, I'm not quite sure where that stands. And of course, that's always a process of gathering and presenting the evidence. But uh, it, it is being presented there, and I think rightfully so. Um, along with that, you know, standoff um, strategy now of, of just, you know, pounding these, these cities, I mean, including identifiable civilian areas, residential areas, you know, apartment blocks, um, the theater in, in Mariupol where mm -hmm. people were sheltering, um, and now an art studio, I think it was called, also in Mariupol, uh, where, again, people were sheltering. Um, direct hits. Uh, this is deliberate slaughter of civilians. And, and it is, I mean, I, you know, long, long term, obviously short term, it's an immense tragedy for the people of Ukraine. But I think longer term, um, this, is, this is a tragedy for the people of Russia. Yeah. Um, because... You know, not only Putin himself, his entire top leadership circles are pariahs uh, in, in the international world. Um, they've been sanctioned, uh, cut off from international banking and finance channels, unfortunately finding recourse by, by turning to China. And that's, a, that's a, another topic there. But uh, in, in, in the broader world, um, cut off um, just... You know, when, when we were talking some weeks ago, you know, will this or won't this happen on a large scale, you know, all out invasion of, of Ukraine. And I was I was citing several people, including folks like Kash Patel, people like uh, retired uh, General Jack Keane at the um, Institute for the Study of War, um, even former uh, Russian advisors to Putin, very close to Putin, Andrei Ilarionov, I mentioned. All of them, um, I guess, and, 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 and understandably so, up until that point, um, assessed Putin as a, as a rational actor. Uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, a thug, um, a, uh, an aggressor, um, you know, dreams of glory and reestablishing the Russian empire, uh, et cetera, yes. And the examples before us of, of Chechnya and of the Middle East, yes. But assessed him as someone who was not reckless. Yeah. Uh, who, who would not um, deliberately, knowingly uh, dive into a situation which would redound in the end to the ultimate... Um, I mean, destruction of, of Russia itself, potentially. Yeah. And yet, um, in spite of all of those, uh, I think someone has called it, what is it, uh, material um, material constraints on, on 
his, you know, expected behavior, uh, that by doing this, he, he blows up diplomatic channels. You know, the only thing left, you know, are, are negotiations about a ceasefire. But I mean, ordinary, you know, negotiations, diplomatic channels blown to smithereens. His economy is in shambles and will remain so and get worse over the coming weeks and months. Uh, politically, he himself, Putin, um, is obviously and predictably facing a lot of opposition internally, certainly from his own people, whom we see in the streets by the thousands in various cities, including Moscow, protesting against this war, uh, especially once they find out with their husbands, brothers, sons, and um, fathers are, are, are being sent, um, not even being told where they're sent or why until they find themselves there under orders to murder civilians. Yeah. So all of that going on internally, his Putin's inner circle, uh, has got to be taking an assessment at some point. How does this help Russia? How does this help keep us, you know, Putin and, and the whole nomenclatura, if you want to call it that, in power, enjoying the perks of power, the dachas on the Black Sea, um, you know, the shopping sprees for their girlfriends in Paris. How does that help them? Yeah. How? It, it, and it doesn't because a bunch of them individually by name are now under sanctions as well as Russian banks and so forth, as institutions. Um, so that internal opposition. So we've, we've talked about diplomatic, we've talked about economic, and we've talked about political. Um, the one thing that is happening is that Russia's turning to the one place left for it to turn, and that is China, uh, the communist Chinese regime uh, of uh, Xi Jinping, uh, which is working out ways of processing payments, for example, of, of um, especially natural resources that China needs from Russia, but does not have itself, like oil and gas, and also agricultural products like grains, wheat, or, I don't know, maybe soybeans. Um, and, and they'll find they're, they're working out, you know, an alternative means of payment that bypasses the international system, the SWIFT system, interbanking financial system now blocked to Russia. Um, and that I think is worrisome, uh, that an alternative to the dollar as the reserve currency of the world is being established yeah. in some measure. Yeah. Um, but the flip side of that, um, that I think about is that Russia is falling under the sway, uh, the power of the Chinese regime, of the CCP. Russia is going to become a vassal of Beijing. That's what's happening. Yeah. I don't know if people realize that, but by being beholden to the Chinese, which now, by the way, have a more vibrant economy, it's not in great shape, but it, it's better than the Russian one at the moment, um, a stronger military, a more numerous military, possibly even a more advanced military than Russia, roles have flipped, if, yeah. you, if you see what I mean, over these last decades, but but this has just accelerated it. 
Yeah. This uh, invasion, ill thought out, ill planned, ill conceived, ill uh, executed invasion of Ukraine has really put Russia on its back foot. Um, Putin himself may not remain in that position of power forever. Um, And I don't mean his advancing age, but I, I mean that you know, and I and I'm not talking about a violent coup sure. or something like that, but I'm, I'm I'm talking about something like the way Khrushchev was removed yeah. back in the day, after the Bay of Pigs disaster. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, or not the Bay of Pigs per se, but but the the uh, the missile. Yeah. Um, he blinked. Uh, standoff with with JFK, uh, you know, in Cuba, the way Brezhnev was removed after the disaster of ten years in Afghanistan, uh, the way Gorbachev was moved against. Could have been a, a real, you know, all-out coup d'état, but but in that way, um, when the nomenclatura, the, the senior ruling um, kleptocrats of, of the Russian regime feel themselves and their perks and their lifestyle threatened or diminished, that's that's when they will move to to change leadership. Now, would it be for for better or for worse? Hard to say. Can't hardly imagine it would be any worse, but not necessarily going to be any better either. Um, but bottom line, anyway, there is that Russia, I think, is on a fast track to becoming a vassal of the CCP. So that's sort of the overview. Uh, cruise missile, uh, hypersonic cruise missile. Um, the commentary I've heard from observers that that, that I respect. Um, Look at that as a as kind of a demonstration and a warning. Absolutely, of a missile that could be um, nuclear armed. It's it's got the capability for that. Not that this one was, but it could be. Um, he's rattling our cages. Yeah, you know, Putin is backed into a corner he never expected to be in uh, a month ago. It seems a little he desperate. Never thought he'd be fought to a standstill by the Ukrainian army, but with you know, continuous massive inflows of, of assistance coming from the West, from those NATO countries that, that border Ukraine. And as long as that remains the case, um, I, I agree that NATO needs to stay out of Ukraine, ground or airspace, yeah. per se. But as long as, you know, the weapons keep, keep uh, you know, flowing in and, and humanitarian aid as well, um, and in particular, uh, as the weapons, um, the, the flow, not, not just the flow, but the quality of, of the weapons. So up until now, you know, the stingers, javelins, uh, which are kind of low altitude, but the, um, uh, the javelins, which are anti-armor, uh, they've been very effective. But what we're talking about now, what I've heard talked about, are uh, different kinds of air defense systems, something like an S. 300 or maybe even S 400 other models um, that are that are similar to that but that can reach higher altitudes for fixed wing uh, aircraft um, and uh, take better control even now than the Ukrainians have over their own airspace so that's sort of my overview for the moment it's the benefit of this podcast is I get 
I get briefs that most people would pay for, and I get to pawn it off as a podcast. I know. I think you. Sh- I think you should. I think. I think people would p- pay for Claire Lopez briefs. I absolutely do. But no, it's. It's. I've had a. And obviously, it's easy for me because I'm the I'm the host, and I get to sit through all these podcasts and hear them from beginning to end and see context. But I've I've had people ask me you know, about different guests I've had on, like, like yourself or like uh, other military members. And they, I think a lot of people incorrectly think that you all are saying something different from one another. Uh, some are very emphatic on, we can't go in there and escalate to World War III. Um, then, you know, you talk about the Ukrainians fighting abilities and their resolve. And really, I, I, I think I should clarify, I think you guys are all saying the same thing. Yes, like what happens to what's happening to Ukraine sucks. No one's saying it doesn't, but I think there's also a pretty uniform response that we we can't go in and establish. You can flow all the weapons all day long, but logically, you can't escalate this because it's not where this would be if the first escalate. I mean, really, since what Berlin airlift and then Cuban missile crisis, you rationally can't escalate, right? It just it's the end of the world. So that's just kind of a, a, of a side note that. And I, I would say I have the exact same belief as you. Keep the weapons flowing. Keep the humanitarian uh, aid flowing. Again, as an armchair general in a, in a leather chair in Maryland. But, like, keep the aid flowing. Keep the weapons flowing. I guess keep the intel flowing. But, yeah, we can't. you can't go in there with F-22s and F-35s because it's going gonna, it's gonna to escalate in 12 hours more than it has in the last 12 days. To what you were saying about China, though. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, and the Kinzhal. Again, in my, all of my military genius... Yeah, I look at that as there was no tactical use for that. It's a shot across the bow. It's saying, hey, we have this and we're willing to use it. To me, that also looks desperate, though, that he would use it. It's because he expected this to be a two-day campaign. But more importantly, pushing them into the hands of China. Is there any... I mean, you'd have to war game around that, right? Because this isn't necessarily any better. It's I think at a certain point, you'd have to almost become detached and go what's the lesser of the evils them taking ukraine or them falling into the hands of china and then do we is there a global response to china saying you're going to get sanctioned unless you stop cooperating with russia what are the ripple effects of that do you have any thoughts on that there is no there is no moral um alternative than to support ukraine sure it's not a nato obligation it's not a bilateral it's, a, it's humane defense pact it's no, humane it's yeah it's humane um, but but this is an independent sovereign country absolutely not perfect okay no, yeah. uh corrupt to the core yeah um yeah there there are some nazis there there are nazis in america i mean does that mean that we should be invaded and our our cities pulverized and our citizens slaughtered because we have nazis marching down the streets in i don't know skokie illinois um, so the only moral response, um, and, and also, um, not just moral, but, uh, you may have seen the article I, I think I sent to you that, um, was published in American Greatness just a few days ago, and it's called, it's not NATO, Putin fears, it's Western style nationalism. And, and the point, uh, of what I wrote is that, uh, Putin seeks to uh, rearrange the post-Cold War, post-1991 world 
order uh, in which um, the Western uh, and Western style um, liberal democratic countries like the United States, like those in Europe and NATO, uh, but others as well, not necessarily in the West, but I mean, geographically, but Western style liberal democracies. Um, and he, Putin, wants to overthrow that uh, in order to go back to an earlier time. Um, and, and, and as I wrote in, in, in the article, uh, Vladimir Putin um, has a namesake, Vladimir of Rus, who, uh, as a forebear, as a, as a throwback in the Russian Empire days, um, converted to Christianity in the year 988, current era, and uh, along with him, uh, his entire people, because that's how things worked back in those days. And um, then uh, the empire stretched out and it expanded. Um, and it was uh, it was conquest, it was domination, it was subjugation of whatever you can get your hands on. Mm -hmm. That's how things worked. Well, Putin is a throwback to those times, if not to his own namesake. Yes, he's Christian, but Orthodox Christianity would not be recognizable, I would submit, by American, I don't know, Baptists or Methodists. Uh, it, it's not that kind of, you know, social issue, go to church on Sunday, Bible-thumping kind of Christianity that we have here in the United States. It's not like that. It's a thing of the blood. It's in the genes. It's in the genetic code to be an Orthodox Christian uh, Slav, whether in Russia, Ukraine, or other places. Um, and so in that sense, um, Putin is a throwback to an earlier era um, that he obviously uh, longs for, mm -hmm. um, that, that he can be a Tsar. He can be uh, a Russian uh, Tsar um, re-establishing re for him, it would be re-establishing um, the Russian Empire that came apart in 1991 an event he has called the most catastrophic event of his lifetime. And, and so in that sense, uh, Putin is trying to um, upset and, and throw over the, the, the current world order, which is a Westphalian kind of nation state, sovereign territory, um, you know, uh, integrity, sovereign, the integrity of one sovereign nation system. And that is Western-based, obviously. And he wants to overthrow that. Uh, and, in, in, and like China, I mean, this is, this is why it's so dangerous, the two of them collaborating together, that um, they, they think instead uh, of the right of empire, of conquest, of domination, of subjugation, of anything and everyone that you, get, you can get your hands on. And um, that, that is what Putin's doing. That, that is what my article was about, that we who are still of the liberal Western nationalist sovereign and, you know, the integrity of what sovereign nation, national territory, uh, if we want that system to, to remain, to survive, then beyond a moral obligation to help Ukraine, it's that broader vision um, that I was writing about, I think, that is at issue here. And it has implications for China and for its desire to grab Taiwan, which, by the way, was never actually a legitimate 
part of China. It was part of Japan. It was many things, but it was not a core integral part of China. Although I didn't know that the leadership would like us to think that. Um, but so lessons, lessons for us uh, and lessons for the Chinese watching what's going on in Ukraine. Um, yeah, I guess I had it confused with Hong Kong. Hong Kong, there was like the 99 year lease was Hong Kong, right? That That's was right. okay. That's right. Uh, broken by the CCP, of course. Yeah, of course. Without saying, um, there is kind of some irony in in um and Putin looking back at 91 as the most catastrophic event of his life and he's kind of going for broke and instead of being the resurgence of the Soviet Union it just kind of seems to be like 1991 part 2 it seems like he might actually collapse it further and there's some terrible irony in that um yeah i mean if well, he you... wants to put back together again what was broken up at the time yeah out of out of the detritus of, of the USSR came 15 independent republics to include all five in Central Asia, uh, to include Belarus, to include Ukraine. Um, and then, of course, uh, those Eastern European countries long dominated um, by Moscow in the Warsaw Pact and so forth, uh, they also broke free. And, yeah. and many of them like Poland and Hungary and Slovakia and Bulgaria and Romania uh, and the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania have, uh, or, or I should say the, the first bunch have already joined NATO. Um, so have the Baltic states, but Putin would like to grab them back again, I guess. Um, I don't know with what resources he thinks that that's going to be possible. I think he really overreached uh, I think that he is spelling disaster, not just for himself personally, his rule, uh, his regime's rule, but for the unfortunately long-suffering people of Russia, too. So do you think this is going to lead to a last, I guess now, and I've got you for three more minutes, just some, some predictions. Um, how do you think this goes? Is there any peaceful out of this? Does Russia fall into the hands of China? Does Ukraine completely collapse? I, uh, I don't expect... Ukraine to completely collapse. Um, there are parts of it, um, like the eastern region of the Donbass, where those two um, oblasts are located, the, the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts, um, that uh, even President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has um, stated would be up uh, for discussion. In fact, that harkens back to the 2014-2015 Minsk agreements, under which those places in the Donbass were supposed to have uh, elections or referenda uh, that would, I guess, allow them to be something like autonomous regions within Ukraine. That's up for discussion. Uh, Crimea, Crimea is Russian. It's gone and uh, it is effectively on the ground, uh, you know, occupied by, governed by Russia now. And apparently uh, with the majority support of the people of Crimea. So Crimea, Russia. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, what we heard Zelensky say just a day or two ago, maybe a little longer, um, is that he realizes that Ukraine does not now and will not in the near future or foreseeable future meet the criteria for membership in NATO. And that is uh, an aspiration that, that he has to set aside for now. That's a big concession right there. But sure. he realizes 
that, that NATO is not going to accept Ukraine. It doesn't meet the criteria to be a member of Ukraine, first and foremost. Um, but also, uh, maybe Zelensky and, and certainly others, NATO and, and, and others, uh, I think realize uh, that the best position for Ukraine um, would be independent and free and westward leaning if that's what they want to do, uh, but um, a buffer zone, not a member of NATO. Yeah. Um, and that is what Zelensky has been alluding to. So uh, talks go on. Um, I understand, uh, heard that Israel is acting as a mediator, as a go-between between Ukraine and Russia. Um, you know, maybe through those talks, eventually when Russia realizes that it cannot succeed in what it set out to accomplish, um, that there will be some kind of an off-ramp and each side, I mean, Ukraine um, will be giving up uh, territory, or at least control of territory, yeah, uh, and aspirations for NATO. Uh, but Russia uh, will be giving up uh, its dreams of conquest because it cannot achieve them. Yeah. So maybe that's where this goes. Yeah. The yeah. sooner the better for these all these poor people of Ukraine and you know, the millions have been forced uh, to, to flee the country. Yeah. They may one day be able to come home again. Yeah. Yeah, joining NATO right now is, not to make light of it, but I mean, it's kind of like pre-existing conditions. Like, you, you come in right well, now there, with there Russia attacking. I, 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 know, I know that. I mean, I'm talking know, about just... Meet, uh, control of one sovereign territory. Yeah. And um, meeting rule of law criteria. Yeah. For joining NATO. They, yeah. They just don't. Yeah. And they're not going to. No, I, I know those. I guess I was I was making a, a, a kind of a, a dark joke about they're being you know invaded by Russia right now. If they join NATO, then we would have to, by definition, defend them, which would escalate into nuclear war. It was it was a it was a dark joke, Claire, and it didn't land well. That's why I'm not a comedian. That's why I'm doing the podcast. <laughs> I, you do stay 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 with your day job. You're, I you're I doing good. Took my shot, didn't work, and uh, writing's on the wall. Keep doing the podcast, um, but it's Claire Lopez. Thank you as always, and as I said earlier, the links to your uh, to your writings, your articles, and your Twitter are of course going to be in the description. I highly recommend following Miss Claire Lopez. I'm biased because I like her, but I think you should too. And uh, we will resume next week, and I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, really, it's any regardless of I guess what the long term implications are. It's ultimately, yeah, there are people being hit with artillery shells, and maybe. Maybe the biggest concern isn't what does a Russia, 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 Sino-Russian alliance mean in 20 years. There's a lot of people right now that don't give a shit about that. They just want to go home. And it's very easy for me to make light of it in my own apartment in a cheery suburb in Maryland. So try to keep it in context for myself. But, Ms. Lopez, I know you got another engagement. So we'll end this one up. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks again. Yes, ma'am. See you next week. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. God bless. Recording Thank you so much.